in Nehemiah 5. If, uh, and where we've, if you haven't been here, kind of let me catch up quickly. Uh, chapter 3, all was going well. I mean, uh, they were rebuilding the walls. The families were like building walls all around the sections, kind of near their homes. Everybody was jumping in. They built the wall to kind of halfway up. And, and, and then in Nehemiah 4, we saw last week, they began to experience opposition, mostly from outside. The kings uh, of the surrounding countries and cities outside of Jerusalem did not want a, a flourishing Jerusalem because it meant a, a, a hit on their bottom line. And so they, they, they would much rather see Jerusalem in shambles because then they're kind of the powerhouse in that area. And so we saw opposition come. We saw a little bit from within, but we saw opposition come from without. And next week, Nehemiah 6, we'll see some of that as well. But, but particularly this week, we're going to see Nehemiah deal with conflict from, from within. And, uh, and really how he handles it is how we're going to really begin to see how we should deal with biblical conflict even in our own lives. Now, but, but before I kind of even jump into that, I want to kind of lay out the groundwork for how Christians can even manage relationships that experience conflict, handle that conflict well, and move on beyond that conflict in, in a Christ-honoring way. The, the, the basis of that is because we've been saved it's because of the gospel it's the cross of christ that empowers us to have a a reconciliation kind of life and and mindset that when we are offended that we don't bolt and run that when we do experience conflict that we don't bail out that that we step in further to that and the only that the world doesn't understand that the world just says fine i'm going to get another relationship i'm going to get another job i'm going to get another family i'm going to i'm going to do i'm going to bail out and run but the thing that empowers us to be different from that is because we love the same king it's because Jesus has saved us, a people unto himself. And because of that, since we're going to have to worship Jesus forever together side by side around the throne, he also then empowers us to get along now, right? Praise be to God. Now, here's the thing. Anytime you have relationships with anybody, you're going to experience conflict, right? I mean, that, that, that is pretty normal. That's not unusual for church. Now, Here's the thing about us in particular, and I'm going to talk about a lot of different relationships you have and a lot of different conflict management you may have to deal with, whether it be work, family, church. But specifically for the church, uh, it, 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 this biblical confrontation, how to handle it, is so crucial for us uh, that it really determines the, the health of a church. Now, now, let me pause here. Just to say, I, many of you have all kind of church backgrounds. I don't know where you come from. Uh, some of you maybe have been in this church forever. Some of you have come and had other church experiences. The message I'm preaching today, I'm grinding no axis, okay? Like, there's no one person that I'm preaching at here. There's no one issue that I'm preaching at here. So, so you may feel that. Like, who's he mad at? right like I don't feel that right like we have a very healthy church I, I'm not I'm not trying to I, I, there's no one in my mind no situation in my head that I'm like I'm really going to get them here right that's not going on so I want to make that clear here because you may have experienced that in your past where some preacher just gets up and preaches at you and you're like okay you know like that's not happening here. Uh, I really think that this is a key for us we have a healthy church but to continue to be healthy because because as we continue to grow and as we continue to have further relationships and as we you know do life together that comes with 
conflict, inevitably. We're not always going to get along. Why? Because we're different people. We think differently. We're from different backgrounds. We like different things. We have different personalities. Some of those personalities work with other personalities. Some of those personalities don't work with other personalities. We're just a bunch of people that, that... uh, had a root issue of sin that have been saved by Jesus and we have a relationship together. That's going to come with some conflict. Now, how we handle that is huge. Now, if you've been in church a long time, you've probably been in churches that it got ugly, like fighting got ugly, where business meetings turns into WWE wrestling and, uh, you know, the organist is body slamming the pianist and, you know, and everybody's mad about the color of the carpet and, uh, you know, the guy who, who, you know, has his whole family's half the church is mad because, you know, whatever, it don't matter. You know, like, you've probably experienced that or maybe you've walked through church splits of some things and, and you've just seen the ugliness of, of biblical conflict not handled rightly. And so what, what this is, this isn't, you know, if we're a vehicle, our check engine light isn't on. That's not what we're doing here. I feel like we're going in for a tune-up. Like, like this is good preventative maintenance to make sure that when we, when we do experience conflict, that we handle it rightly and biblically. There was a quote I read this week. It said this, because, because we need to understand there's an enemy that wants to divide us, wants to destroy what God is doing here, and in every Christ-honoring, Bible-centered church, he wants to destroy that. I read this quote this week. It said uh, from a guy named uh, McGee, uh, in, in the history of the church, we have seen that when the devil could not destroy the church by persecution, the next thing he did was join it. And, and I think that's happened. You know, there's, you know, we know in the scriptures based on the parable, the, ter- the, the, uh, the parable of the tares and the wheat that within the church until the end, there will be non-believers. People who think they are believers but are in fact non-believers and who stir up great dissension within the church. And, and, and this is why God has uh, established elders as in the church. that The elders are, are tasked with protecting the body from, from heresies, from uh, false teaching, false teachers, protecting the body from, from evildoers that would come in and just want to bring division with them, from, from, from protect, uh, you know, to watch over souls that can't see their own sin and their own souls and lives. And so, so God has established the elders to, to do things like that. Um, and, and, and to, to continue to protect the body. But you got to know that there's always going to be constant opportunity for uh, false teachers or, or people to come in that have to be dealt with. You know, and so, so uh, we want to continue to provide you with ammunition to say, okay, w- be aware of what is happening and to handle it in a very biblical uh, context, right? Uh, what is not okay, all right? When we experience conflict, what is not the biblical way to handle it is to be passive. Um, You know, there's really two extremes when it comes to conflict. It's I'm going to react and not handle it in a self-controlled manner. I'm going to blow up and, and, uh, and, and, you know, handle it that way. Or the other way that is also not biblical is just to stuff it and to say, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to ignore this until it goes away. The problem is, it doesn't go away. You swept it under the rug, and now that rug has mounted up, and it's just going to blow up in some form or fashion. And so we want to know, all right, how do we handle conflict in a way that, that is biblically right and that honors Christ and that reconciles relationships? How do we do that? All right, and I think we can see that from Nehemiah. So let's dive in. 
I'm going to read, we're going to read the entire chapter, but I'm going to read it in three sections uh, today. But let's start in verse 1. <clears throat> now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money uh, for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. All right, let me stop there. Let me explain to you the problem that is happening. Um, you know, so there's a famine in the land, and, and the poorer Jews are having to depend upon the richer Jews for financial support. But what they're doing is they're selling to the richer Jews their vineyards, their fields, uh, so that they can have the money to eat and to survive uh, the famine. Now, there's a couple of biblical injustices that were happening here. According to the Mosaic law, a Jew could not offer a loan to a Jew, a fellow Jew, with interest. They could, they could give them money as a loan, but they could not exact interest from them, and that was happening. So, so the, the, the richer Jews were, were giving money, but they were, they were taking things from the poorer Jews um, as interest. The even greater evil was that the, the poorer Jews were in such a situation that they were uh, giving their children to the richer Jews as slaves, as collateral for these loans so that they could be able to eat. And so they, Jews enslaving other Jews was a problem, a big problem. And so Nehemiah sees this injustice, and, he, and, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a conflict, and he knows that this is, this is a problem, and it's such a problem, it's such a cancer within Jerusalem, within the body of God's people, that if it's not dealt with, then the greater mission is going to fail. So he halts and deals with this issue because if that is not taken out, it's going to spread and spread and spread, and that will be the destruction, not broken down walls, but corruption within. And so this is the problem he's dealing with. He, he, he's going to confront, he's going to try to right the, the ship here. So let's, let's go on and, uh, in verse 6 and see how Nehemiah responds. He says this, I was very angry. When I heard their, out, their outcry in these words, I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, <coughs> excuse me, you are exacting interest from uh, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. 
Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. And I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said amen and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. The first thing I want us to get from Nehemiah's reaction here is that believers must handle conflict in biblical order. Uh, If you were to look at our Lord's teaching in Matthew 18, he kind of shows us the way in which we're to handle conflict. That first, we approach an individual who has wronged us, or maybe we have wronged one-on-one. We we confront the issue. That's how we should do it. We we should go to them one-on-one. If that brother or sister does not listen to that, then we take someone with us. Um, and, 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 and then if that doesn't work, we take it to the church. Obviously, this is in the context of, of a body of, of believers. Now, um, there's a lot of things that, that are good for us to learn practically uh, in this thing. Uh, our first step when we have been wrong is to go and talk to that person. Now, what is more natural for us is to talk to everybody else but that person. Right? I mean, I, I want to make sure I build my case. I want to make sure everybody's on my side. I want to make sure that, that everybody agrees with me that that person is evil and I'm awesome. And so we talk to everybody else. Uh, that is sin. That is gossip. Th- th- that is slander. That is sin. And so let us not sin when we have been wronged. Let us confront the individual one-on-one. And that's how we're to, to handle it. Now, again, how we do that matters, right? Um, how we are not to do it is to go to them and just chew them out. Our natural tendency is to think that we're always right and they're always wrong, right? And so it would be wise of us to approach this situation and say, hey, this is how I feel like I have been wrong." And then have genuine conversation. If they're a brother or sister in Christ, you should be able to have conversation without getting angry at one another for that wrong. The other way that is wrong to handle it, again, I've already said, is passive. We must reject passivity. You know, just ignoring it is not the answer. Um, A wound ignored festers. And it affects everything else. And then you realize you begin to be bitter at that person and and you haven't forgiven them. And you're expecting them to kind of realize that they've wronged you and come and make that right with you. But they may not even know they've wronged you. And so here's, you know, one of the things I've always heard about not forgiving someone and walking through that resolution and being just bitter at them. It's like you drinking poison and expecting them to die. The only one you're hurting is you. And so you need to begin to make that right. Seek that resolution in that, in that relationship. Now, the other thing you see in this text here is that the, 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 the complaint came to the one who could do something about it. Um, again, 
so often, maybe it's at work. Maybe you are wronged by your boss at work. And you decide, instead of talking to your boss at work, that you're going to talk to all the coworkers instead. And that just doesn't help you. And again, you're walking in sin. That is not the right thing to do. You should go to your boss and have conversation with him. If it's a conflict in the, if you have an issue with the leadership of the elders, right? For instance, it would be foolish of you to talk to everyone else but the people who can do something about it. Like you, you should have a conversation with those that you have felt to be an error. You know, instead of building a case around you. But that's what we naturally do. And so we have to fight that in us. That's, 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 that's our flesh tendency. Because to, to, we love and we often think that everyone else is in the wrong and we're awesome and right. And so that's what we try to, we try to build, our, build our case. Um, you know, secondly, and it kind of flows into that, leaders must deal with complaints in a biblical manner. When the complaint came to Nehemiah, he didn't say, hey, no, I'm too busy for that. Can't you see I'm building a wall? Leave me alone. I've got other problems to deal with, right? Like, no, he doesn't do that. He, he, he halts what he's doing to, to, to handle uh, the, the conflict. He, knew, he saw the importance of handling the conflict in that moment. Here's what also Nehemiah did. He got righteously angry. Now, there's two camps oftentimes in Christianity about anger. One is that um, you, you, people say that, 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 that um, you should never get angry. That, that anger is always a sin, right? You should never get angry. And then the other camp is that anger is just a feeling and okay, and you just have to process it and, and live in it and deal with it. Uh, I think that it's somewhere in the middle. We see our Lord got righteously angry. We see that uh, he came into the temple and flipped over tables in anger. And, and, and he was angry because they were making a mockery of the house of God, setting up change tables where Gentiles were supposed to be worshiping God. So there was a righteous anger. Um, and in that righteous anger, our Lord did not sin. That's important to know. Because so often for us... We, we, we can be righteously angry. There are some things in our world we should be righteously angry about. We should be righteously angry about abortion. We should be righteously angry about child abuse. We should be righteously angry about racism. We should be righteously angry about the mistreatment of women. We should be righteously angry about a lot of things. But in our righteous anger, we're not called to sin. I was thinking about in this kind of analogy, you know, with the... Um, the abortion clinic bombings. That's sin. That's sin. But sin does not nullify another sin. So yes, we can be righteously angry, but how we handle that matters. How we handle it matters. If we are righteously angry about something that happens to us, I would just caution us that we have to kind of run it through a filter to say, okay, what kind of selfish or prideful things could be mixed in with that righteous anger? Am I fighting for my own rights? Am I fighting for myself? Am I, am I truly dying to myself? Is this truly something that is, is a, 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 a righteous anger? Is that really what it is? Or am I angry just because of my own wants and needs and desires? And then there's anger that's just sin. You know, someone cuts you off in traffic. You tell them they're number one. There's just anger, right? And that's sin. 
And so we see that righteous anger is okay. Nehemiah was righteously angry. They were committing a grave evil. They were selling their sons and daughters into slavery. They they were exacting interest. Nehemiah was righteously angry. But we also see that Nehemiah had self-control. I love where the text says, I took counsel with myself. Boy, that would save me a lot of problems if I would pause for the moment to take counsel with myself before I say something. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't it save you a lot of fights in your marriage if you would have not said that and have taken counsel with yourself before you said that thing? Absolutely. And so Nehemiah, he, he shows restraint. I think he probably prayed in this moment. I mean, he's just, he's just pausing for a moment. before. Obviously, he's righteously angry. But he still had the self-control in that anger to say, hold on, I'm going to take counsel with myself. <laughs> and, and, and sought the self-control and, and, and had that kind of self-control in, in his life. Then we see he followed biblical principles. He, he kind of goes one-on-one to them. I don't know if they repented or not. It doesn't tell us. It tells us like he just kind of got quiet. Then he kind of makes it public, you know, as, as if he was taking it to the church, as Matthew 18 would say. And so he, 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 he takes it uh, to, to a public um, and, and, and brings that confrontation out into the public. And, uh, you know, he calls them out. He calls them out on mistreating the poor. He, he calls them out on taking the, their own sons in, in, into slavery. Now, <clears throat> I don't, I don't uh, you know, I don't know how these nobles and, 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 and listen, the other thing about this that you need to understand, uh, Nehemiah uh, didn't care who was doing the offense. He just cared that there was an offense being made. Because here's the other thing that that naturally happens is that oftentimes we let some kind of favoritism, partiality come into our decision making and who we confront and don't confront. Right. Uh, Oftentimes I'm counseling younger leaders that you have to be consistent on how you deal with people like 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 i know of one leader who has the tendency to to be harder on people that he knows won't fight back or 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 who are positionally lower than him that's wrong particularly these nobles were rich and influential people but nehemiah calls them out uh how you handle conflict shouldn't matter if it's your boss it shouldn't matter if, if it's an employee. It shouldn't matter if it's your children. It shouldn't matter if it's your spouse. It, 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 it shouldn't matter if it's, you know, uh, how, you, you should handle it in a biblical way. Self-controlled, one-on-one. This is how you should handle biblical conflict, regardless of who's on the other, other end of that. And that's what you see Nehemiah doing. He, he, he confronts it one-on-one and then, um, and then he brings it publicly. Now, look at what happens in verse 14 through the rest of the text. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it (coughs) over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. 
Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Uh, thirdly, third point is that our lives should support biblical confrontation. Now, we're not called to be perfect before we bring, before we come and handle confrontation, but we are called to examine our lives. I think about our Lord's teaching when he talks about that you call out the speck in someone else's eye, and yet there is a plank in your own eye. I think a very good, <clears throat> I think a very good practice for us before we approach someone for confrontation is not to just go and do it but to spend some time on our face before God examining our own heart and soul to say is there any plank in my own eye that I can't see and you may even have trusted individuals in your life that you would say hey I need you to tell me am I walking in sin in any way that I can't see hear me Christian we all of us Every one of us have blind spots that we can't see in our own lives. If we could see them, they wouldn't be called blind spots. And so we have them, and so we have to deal, we, we have to have a way to deal with those before we're just out hunting down injustices to make right. And so we have to get on our face before God and humbly say, God, show me if there's anything in me if, if that I can't see because I'm not perfect. I'm not yet fully made perfect as we will be with you one day. I'm walking, I'm being sanctified, but that's a process that I'm in, and I need you to show me, before I walk in and, and, and confront a brother or a sister, is there anything in me that I can't see? Is there anything in me that I have done that I have been the one to wrong that individual? Here's what happens oftentimes, is we have that plank in our eye and we don't see it. A good telltale sign that this may be happening to you is if you have the same problem over and over with a bunch of different individuals. Eventually, you need to realize, and it's so, we are often so slow to realize, eventually you need to realize that you might be the common denominator. That if you're having the same problem with four, five, six different people, there may be a plank in your eye. It's, and you constantly say, well, that person does this, and that person does this, and that person. You know, would you look within, like, like, what is natural for us? Again, what is, what is fleshly for us? What is natural for us is us to always think we're right, and everyone else is wrong. And we live in that. Unless we fall on our face before the Lord to be reminded that we're not always right and we can be wrong then we continue to say ah that person's an idiot what, what look at that moron look, i mean why would they do something that foolish i don't get that and you're never wrong they're always wrong and you're always right i would say would you, would you examine your heart before the lord especially before you confront someone 
to say, God, is there anything in me that I need to be aware of? Because I want to confront, but I want to confront someone very humbly. I'm not coming to win a fight. I'm coming to restore a relationship. I'm not coming to, to prove I was right. I'm coming to, to, to bring healing to wounds that have happened. That's what biblical confrontation does. It's not winning battles. If you're going into it to win a fight, no one wins. You want to handle relationships in such a way that Christ is exalted. You want to handle a confrontation in a way that in the end of it, Christ is worshipped. Do you handle your confrontations that way? Nehemiah uh, also... Uh, his life just he he lived a godly life we see this from the passage uh you know he there there was no plank in his own eye like he wasn't calling the leaders to not have jewish kids as slaves and taking collateral and, and charging interest he says i'm not doing that a matter of fact he was governor for 12 years and didn't take the govern govern uh, the governor allowance that was afforded him uh, instead he paid for 150 men to feast for 12 years on his own dime he could have exacted that tax on the on the people but he didn't because he saw they can't afford this to pay this tax they're going to sell their fields they're going to sell their children that is wrong i'm not going to walk in that way also nehemiah had the opportunity he, he was on the cutting edge of the prime real estate that was about to happen in jerusalem once the walls were built you had to know that the real estate in the middle of jerusalem was going to go up he could have bought lands his man could have bought out all the lands and he didn't you know why because he said that's not right to take from these people their lands i want to handle this in a way that honors christ I want to walk in a way that honors Christ, that honors God. And that's what Nehemiah did. He lived above reproach. Now, he wasn't perfect. We'll see that later in Nehemiah. But he walked in a way that was above reproach. We should walk in that same way. We should walk in a way that is above reproach. We should go before our Lord and let him deal with our own sin. And if you say you aren't sin, you have no sin. First John called, says that you are a liar and the truth is not in you. So what sin do you need to have dealt with? To bring it to the Lord, to have him deal with you in that, in that kind of way. Now, um, what is also beautiful about Nehemiah here is he used his influence, his leadership, and his position to serve not to be served he used his leadership his influence and his position to serve not to be served this is huge for any leader this is huge for no, no matter if you're a leader in this church or if you're a leader in your family if you're a leader in the business you have been given that position by god to serve the greater the title the greater the amount of service you should be doing the, the, the greater the influence, the greater the servant that you should be. You have been elevated to be used of God to serve people. This is what I tell, again, young pastors again in the ministry. If you want to be in the ministry to be famous or to be served or to be loved, go do something else. 
Because a title should come with it more responsibility to serve. And if you're not willing to die to yourself, this isn't for you. And I don't do that perfectly. But no matter the position, you are elevated. The scriptures talk about that he will, he will uh, humble those who exalt themselves. And he will exalt those who humble themselves. So if you have been ex- lifted up, it's for one of two things. It is for your destruction or it's for your use to serve. It's not for your own kingdom. It's not for your own comfort. It's not for your own It is for him. So if you've been elevated so that you might be more servant-hearted, look at Nehemiah. He used his money to serve. He used his influence to serve. He, he used his, his, his position as governor to right wrongs. He was a servant-hearted leader, not perfect, servant-hearted leader. It cost him out of his own pocket. He was a servant-hearted leader. Leader. And then lastly, look, it says leaders must uh, first be followers. Everyone is under authority. You, me, first we're under the authority of God. Second, we're under his word. Now, we have other authorities. It might be a boss, it might be parents, it might be church elders, but we find ourselves under authority. We're all under authority in some, some form or fashion. We are under authority. And uh, this is unique to our culture in that so often we hate that. We just hate being under authority. We hate rules. We hate being told what to do. We hate uh, anyone suggesting that we're doing things wrong. Um, We just don't naturally do that. And, and, and our kind of American culture problem is that we, we love to be the king of our own lives. And we, you know, and when, when what we want conflicts with what anyone else wants, that thing is always wrong. This happens so many times in our culture, particularly with God and His Word. So often the word is so clear. And yet we say, well, I feel like that's not right. Because we don't like authority. We don't like being told that what we feel is wrong. We, we, we want to be the captain of our own ship. I, I remember too, like in my ministry years ago, not here, I had a conversation with a lady that had come in for counsel. She was a, she was a leader for me, leader serving uh, for our, our church in a lot of different capacities. And uh, she came in and said, hey, I'm divorcing my husband. And I said, okay, uh, why? I don't have a reason. Okay, um, you know that that's sin. Yeah, I know. Okay, you know that you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to do that. Okay, um, well, 
if you make this choice, you need to understand that, you know, you can still come to church here, but I'm going to back you out of leadership. I'm not going to let you lead in the same capacity that you're leading in walking in open sin. And, and, and being told it's a sin by an authority that God has put over you, and you're rejecting it entirely. Not only the authority that God has placed on you, but the authorities that God has placed in your life to guide you towards what is good. And you're saying, no, I don't care. I, wanna, I want what I want. So I, she was dead set on divorcing her husband for no good reason, no biblical reason. And I backed her down, and she just she left the church, went to another church, started serving. And this is what most people do. I've been in ministry for 20 years. Most people do not submit to any kind of authority that is for their good. They just bail out. You tell me I can't do what I want to do, then I'm going to do something else. You tell me I can't do what I want to do in my job, I'm going to go find another job. If you tell me I can't do what I want to do in my marriage, I'm going to go find another marriage. If you can't tell me what I can't do in this church, I'm going to go find another church. That's, that's, that's what happens tons of times. And and it's sinful it's not the way God has ordained this to work has designed it to work and so in 20 years of ministry I've so rarely seen people respond like the nobles did in Nehemiah 5 where they finally they were, they were approached one on one and then they were publicly confronted and they finally said you know what you're right we're going to give them all their stuff back we're going to give them their kids back. We're going to give them their fields back. We're going to give them all their, their oil and their wine and, and, and everything back. We're going to give it all back to them. The rarity of that in our context and culture, when you can just, you know, bail out and go do something else because it's, it's more consumeristic than it is Christianity. And so... For us, if we want to continue to be healthy as individuals and as a church, we need to understand that God has placed authority over us for our good and for his glory. Our bosses are there. They may be a pain in the rear end. They are there for our good and his glory. And if God wants you to move jobs, you need to pray and ask him. Maybe he does. I don't know. But ultimately, God has placed authority. Parents, your parents, for the students in the room, kids in the room, God has placed your parents and your life for your authority and for your good. And for you to reject that authority is sin. God has placed elders over this church for our good, for the church's good, and for the glory of God. What authority in your life are you submitting to? God's word? Are you walking in contrary to God's word? We, we see the nobles repenting and, 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 and embracing uh, the, the, the leadership of Nehemiah and, and, and following his, his leadership. I, you know, when talking about elders in particular with, with, with the church, I wanted to read Hebrews 13, 17, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning. I love that part. For that would be of no advantage to you. 
you know, when, when we teach the membership class, I always talk about why we have even membership. And it's, it's so that I know what souls are going to be, I'm going to be held accountable for. I'm not going to be held accountable for the souls that are at Journey Church or at Christ Fellowship. I'm not, I'm, God's not going to hold me accountable for, for those individuals. He's going to hold me accountable for the, the individuals that he's entrusted to this body. And it's it, not just myself, but the elders. And we have been, we are under shepherds. Christ is the head of the church. And we are under shepherds, under Christ, to shepherd the souls of the church in a way that, that is good for them and, and glorifies God. And that's what I'm going to be held accountable for. If I don't do that well, I will have, God will, it says right there, that, that we'll have to give an account for that. Now what you'll have to give an account for is let them do this with joy and not groaning. If your name comes up in conversation and all the elders go, oh. <laughs> what we say in the South is bless their heart. Uh, for that would be of no advantage to you. That would be of no advantage to you. And so, so we have uh, just biblical conversation. How we handle that is, is important. How we submit to authority is important. Um, and, and we need to understand that all of us are on the path to being sanctified. We are not where we want to be. No, we're not where we used to be, hopefully. But we're not where we want to be yet, which is completely rid of sin, completely present, perfect in the presence of Christ. We're not there yet. We're in process to that. We're growing in Christ. We're being conformed in the image of Christ day by day. We're, we're doing that every day. So we have to realize, since I'm not there yet, there may be things in my life that need to be dealt with. Uh, and especially leaders need to put themselves before the presence of God and say, hey, am I leading in a capacity that is honoring to Christ? That is above reproach. That, that it was walking like Nehemiah walks. Am I... Am I Handling anger in the right way? Am I, do I have self-control in the right way? Am I leading in the right way? Am I, am I s humbly serving instead of just wanting a position? All those things matter in the life of a church. Now, in, in just closing, I, you know, many of you probably are he hearing this message and you're already thinking, that would be great for so-and-so to hear. This message would be great. I'm going to send this to someone else. This is going to be really good. I'm going to send them the link. They need this. No, 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 no. Hear me. You need this. There's not one of us in here, myself included, that doesn't need this. We, we, we all need this, right? So, yes, leaders need to lead better in, in, in a more Christ-honoring way. And, and, and those who are, uh, you know, handling biblical confrontation need, need to handle that in a more biblical and Christ-honoring way. Not with passivity, not with, with just reactionary anger, but in the way that Christ has ordained in Matthew 18. And, and so we need to be a people that just humbly come before the presence of God and say, I hear and I want to obey and walk according to your way, Lord. And, and church, the, second, the last thing I'll say is this. Uh, many of you have been coming here for a while. And uh, in order for confrontation to even happen, you have to get closer to people here. And I would say some of you have a relationship with this church that is such that you have keep people here. So you won't be wounded or hurt, or maybe you won't wound or hurt. 
And I would say that that's not how the church is supposed to be. Yes, there's going to be conflict to deal with. Yes, some people are like sandpaper against you. Yes, you, you, you know, it's going to be tough work, but it's good work. It's Christ-honoring work. And ultimately, to have a healthy church that handles confrontation like that is honoring to Jesus. And, and I will remind you the basis of the gospel. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We deal with individuals that are different than us that may be hard to deal with. EGRs is what extra grace required individuals. We deal with people because guess who else is an EGR in the presence of God? Me. You. And we need to, to walk according to the way because the gospel the gospel has done that work in us therefore we should have it so if you haven't gotten close enough to people in this church to be offended i would say take one step closer take one step closer maybe a group maybe a sunday school class maybe serving take one step closer that's not natural for you. you you may not like people take one step closer get connected a little deeper here